Check one. Check two. Check on the mic. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Comic Book Herald Live. Hey, I'm Dave Beeson, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. Let me know if everything's coming in okay, sound, video, feelings, vibes. How's it working? How's the beard looking? I feel like we're good. I feel like my wife wants it a little trimmed, a little trimmed back. And I feel that way because she told me that explicitly. <laughs> it was very clear. <laughs> but what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on the matter? If I get enough evidence, if I get enough supporting anecdotal evidence here that the beard must stay, perhaps that could buy me an hour or so. Thanks, everybody, for joining live. As always, uh, you're listening here to Comic Carol Live. We are going to talk today primarily about some new X-Men comics. We had, I think, three new number one issues, technically four, if you count Marvel Voices X-Men, uh, and X-Men Red continuation. A couple pieces of news, one of which is pretty big, which is an editorial change over on the X-Men comics line. We'll talk about that probably first. Um, JJ says, sound and video is good. Beer is cold. I could use a, I could use a cold beer right now. I'll tell you that. Listen, if we could upgrade CBH live streams from big water to cold beer, I'd be pretty happy. I, I don't think I'd ask for much more, frankly. Um, I, today we're actually only sponsored by little water. We, we actually lost big water as a sponsor today. We have little water bottles, half empty. I'm not even going to pretend it's half full. How, we lost big water. I'm going to sit here and tell you the glass is half full. No chance. We got a little water, half full. Listen, I'll promote it, but I don't feel good about it. Don't feel good about it. Um, speaking of things I feel good about, how about X-Men Red? X-Men Red. Oh, what a comic. What a comic. L. Ewing, what a guy. Let's see. Chris Quaven in the comments says, no spoilers. Haven't read anything, not even Hawks or Pox. That's a good bit. <laughs> That's a good bit. Now, if you uh, want to join here, and just be furious that I might spoil anything as I week after week talk about the comics that have come out today and pretend like you don't want to be spoiled on anything X-Men related. That's pretty funny. I, I appreciate that. Spoilers will follow. We're definitely going to talk about them here today on the show. Okay. The Resurrection asks, just finished Kick-Ass 3. What do you think about those comics? Uh, <sighs> Resurrection. Resurrection. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get in a good mood. I'm trying, I'm trying to get feeling good here, you know, stay positive, right? Do the things that comics fans like, which is uh, uh, share opinions of positivity about comics. And you got to go start talking to Mark Miller. I'm not as anti-Miller as I think a lot of, like, critical comics community has gotten over the past years. I actually think Marvel Mark from Ultimates through Old Man Logan, which is about 2000 to 2007, does some really good work within the Marvel Comics landscape. Marvel Mark, pretty solid, right? The Ultimate line of things, of course, obviously massively influential. But then even like incontinuity stuff, Marvel Knights, Spider-Man, Wolverine, Enemy of the State, I'm still pretty partial to Old Man Logan. There's a lot of work in there uh, that I can enjoy. On the creator-owned side, once you get out of Marvel Mark territory and into Mark Miller, so two of his books, Wanted and Nemesis, are literally in my bottom three worst comics of all time. The only thing saving Miller from owning the bottom two spots is the existence of Marvel, okay? And the fact that I was, I don't want to say forced, but certainly um, manipulated into reading 
by our generous supporters over at patreon.com slash mymarvelousyear, supporting the My Marvelous Year podcast. Marvel is the worst comic of all time. You get that, but then it's Nemesis, then it's Wanted. <laughs> okay? I don't hate Kick-Ass anywhere near that much. I remember when I watched the movie, I actually had a fine time with that film. Uh, I have not kept up. I think I read the first, you know, probably the first Kick-Ass graphic novel way back when. I it, I remember it being fine. I remember having enjoyed the movie more. Um, but man, I read Nemesis within like the last two to three weeks because we were covering Miller in My Marvelous Year. We're on the year, let's see, we're reading the comics in 2004 right now. So we're like, we just finished Avengers Disassembled was the most recent episode that has been released there. It's a great jump gone point if you want to come in and experience modern Marvel history, right? From Avengers Disassembled to present day, it's really a modern Marvel era. That's where we're at in the My Marvelous Year podcast and reading club. But anyway, I was kind of doing some some Miller stuff, and I was like, you know what? I really haven't read as much of Miller's creator on work. I should give more of this stuff a shot and just see, right? So I can I have this sense of how I'm supposed to feel, but how do I actually feel? So I read Nemesis. <laughs> it's my second least favorite comic of all time. <laughs> that That is apparently how I actually feel about that just monstrosity. Let's see. I'm seeing what about Trouble? Trouble is in the bottom 30, um, but it's it, Trouble is... Listen, Trouble is unnecessary. Conceptually, what if Aunt May was a horny young teenager? It's not a hook I need. It's not a comic I'm really dying for. But, like, it's it's actually the idea is more salacious or offensive than anything can to And the covers, I guess, which are just, like, oh, my gosh, just, like, an absolute, like, crime of pedophilia. Um, the actual content of the issues are, like, pretty inoffensive, pretty pretty forgettable. Um, so that one I don't think is is nearly as bad. So anyway, anyway, <laughs> we don't need to do the full uh, Miller World deep dive. But yeah, I had a horrible time with Nemesis. Truly one of the worst comics I've ever read. Um, maybe rethink how I feel about Steve McNiven, the artist on it, who I otherwise would have thought is a very good artist. Uh, I tried some other Miller stuff within there. The, the book they did with Greg Capolo, I couldn't get into. Um, I thought The Magic Order... At least I was like, here is, like, here's a competent comic that I I don't want to continue with, but I I feel it anyway. Anyway, that's my opinion. <laughs> that is my opinion. Incredibly successful individual in the comic space, right? Which success is you know financial success is not necessarily a equivalent to, to qualitative measure, but uh, but you know, dudes found an audience, right? That's for sure. All right. Speaking of audiences, uh, if you are here live, continue getting your questions. Obviously, I'm commenting and and reacting to some things in here. Um, but, uh, you know, do your thing. <laughs> do your thing. In the comments, be respectful of those around you. That's all that I ask. Let's talk about the one news story, and then we'll get to the comics. Okay. The big news this week was um, Tom Brevoort, an executive editor at Marvel. He has been... With Marvel Comics, straight up, as long as I've been alive, and I'm I'm the old guard at this point for you young bucks here in the YouTube comments, um, he's been with Marvel since 1989, okay, and uh, executive editor for decades. He's been the head editor on the Avengers and Fantastic Four franchises since the entire modern era, since 1998, okay, and like through Avengers Disassembled, Civil War, Avengers vs. X-Men, present day, Um the big news, as it was revealed, is that he's going to be taking over editor leadership 
of the X-Men line of comics. Uh, he has never had a hand in the X-Men line, like a significant hand, really before. Has, I think, a lot of X-Men fans were, like, freaking out, first of all, as we'll talk about. Um, but also were, like, pointing to something he wrote, like, in the early 2000s where he was like, I don't really like the X-Men. <laughs> or, like, they're not, my, they're not my team. Like, he's an Avengers and Fantastic Four person. Um, and, and historically, those are the titles that, that he has managed. But he's also, like, like, he's kind of perpetually in the running for, like, an editor-in-chief position, right, through sheer longevity and, and resume at this point. Um, but also, I mean, if you're going to talk about what Marvel has looked like over the past three decades, is a name that has to come up because has had, I mean, a strong say on the editorial vision for good and for ill for the Avengers franchises. Right. And has a good relationship with a lot of creators that, you know, I think a lot of his value, uh, Jonathan Hickman, right. Al Ewing, a lot of their first works, a lot of their bigger works are with Brevoort editing. Okay. Um, so this, why did this freak out fans out? Okay. Why did this scare people? So the news drops and it's, you know, the headline alone is like Brevoort on X-Men, huge shift. Marvel's focusing on the X-Men now. Um, the reason this is scary is number one, the sense that somebody else is going to come in and kick Jordan D. White, who's been the editor of X-Men for the last however long, is going to kick them to the curb. Well, since House and Powers, right, for sure, but even before that, is going to kick them to the curb, take over, and, like, put the kibosh on this era, right? That's fear number one. That's not happening. That's not happening. Um, Brevoort, in his announcement, says they're going to finish the thing they're doing. I'm still working on Avengers. I'm managing an Avengers-based crossover event next year, 2024, okay? It's not happening until after that. So is effectively trying to say they're going to get to finish their Krakoa saga, and then I'll come in, okay? So that piece of things, like, oh, this is an immediate change or turnover. No, we're talking like a year or two probably down the road, maybe longer, maybe longer, okay? Karen Gillan in their newsletter today says, if you're wondering how this impacts our present plans, the answer is basically it doesn't. And he says, I've talked about the story I'm telling in its broad length, and Tom will only be in the office after that's done. So my read on this, as it's been stated, is the current X-Men leadership and X-Office is going to get the chance to finish their Krakoa saga. Now then the follow-up to that is, okay, but does then that mean the Krakoa saga is the end of Krakoa, right? Like, so when come 2025, does it sound like, like this is the end, and then Brevoort comes in and hardcore back-to-basics everything, and then I think the prevailing, the, the betting money right now is on Marvel's making this move because the MCU needs to start pushing X-Men. The MCU is slipping, right? Their hold <laughs> on culture has waned, regardless of how you feel about the output. Like, clearly, they have suffered post-Endgame. Um, <laughs> suffered. <laughs> they have dropped in, in, in measure and esteem. Um, and they're putting Brevard in the X-Men line because he's the company man. He's the company man, and he's going to go in and he's going to synergize X-Men comics with where the MCU is going to take things. This could be true. This could be true. It's certainly the betting favorite, as I've said. That said, I don't feel like it's a guarantee. I don't. I, and I think there's a, a degree of certitude with which that is being assumed 
with which people are saying, oh, well, Krakoa will end and then Brevoort will back to the mansion, everybody, with a Professor X-led X-Men team to fit in with the MCU. There's a degree of certitude there that I do not feel is justified. We don't know. As an editor, there are criticisms <laughs> that one can and should levy towards the works of Tom Brevoort. In my newsletter this Friday, go to compocarol.com, sign up for the newsletter, highly recommend it, do it every week. I'm going to explore what is the history of Brevoort as an editor over the past 30 years. One of the things that, that folks are worried about that I think is very valid and, and a good reason to worry is are people of color and, and queer characters and creators going to get as much visibility, going to be able to play as much of a role in an Brevoort-led X-Men line. And historically, there's less reason to believe that will be the case. That's a very valid concern. I think this, this era of Krakoa X-Men and the Jordan D. White administration has pushed for that in some pretty unique ways for Marvel, okay? Whose track record is, is not especially supportive of that. Um, Brevoort is very much in line with, with you know, not necessarily being a barrier, not necessarily, and like this isn't, this can be interpreted as like, oh, so he's a, he's a wild bigot running all over the place. Like, that's not what I'm saying, but he's not an advocate. Okay. But I think narratively, narratively, story-wise, this is an individual who does understand when the Marvel Universe needs a little progress, who is not necessarily as tied to back to basics as you might assume from someone who's been entrenched in the company so long and is so tied to Marvel history, and again, kind of the company man persona. I mean, Avengers Disassembled was a swing. That was blowing up what Avengers was, okay? Civil War, Secret Invasion, Dark Reign, these are swings. These are narrative progressions, right, throughout Avengers. The Hickman-written Fantastic Four, Avengers, Secret Wars. All of these are letting creators cook and try things and pushing the Marvel Universe by degrees in certain directions. Brevoort's also the lead editor on Immortal Hulk without Ewing. This is not an individual who is entirely tied to a traditionalist nostalgic approach. That said, if that is what the company is pushing, I suspect they'll go along with it. But they have editorial instincts right? They have a massive resume of success. So I think the certitude that, oh, this is just going to mean they're going to do this very uh, uh, back-to-basics, you know, boring version of recapturing what the X-Men were. Listen, it's still the betting favorite. It is. But I, I do feel like we can't discount the possibility of getting to the end of this thing and having a soft refresh where you still have Krakoa functional in some capacity. You know, and it's all going to be dictated by what is fandom saying? And then I think for Brevard specifically, it's going to be like, what are the dollars saying? What are people buying? You know, are they buying this Krakoa thing still? That's what it's going to come down to, of course. It's always money, right? Um, so, all right. So I'm not as, I'm not nearly as freaked out as I think a lot. Of, I think a lot of, for a lot of fans, it was like, it was the kind of news that makes you sort of address <laughs> the mortality of this this enterprise and the Krakoa era. But it's like none of that is actually news at all. We The full expectation 
before the Krakoa era of X-Men comics, when Jonathan Hickman kicked it off in 2019, was like five to six years. Guess what? That's next year. <laughs> okay, six would be two years from now. We're already at that timeline anyway. So the idea, and like, I don't want this era to spin its wheels in Krakoa for a decade. It's going to get boring. It's gotten boring at times, right? So that does not appeal to me more. Now, that said, I do not want it thrown away. You know, I also want there to be a place for Krakoa like Latveria, like a Wakanda. I think that's probably the most interesting way you can maintain mutants going forward and have these ideas and not have them just be a blip, right? And not have them, you know, in a decade's time, just be like, oh, Morrison's new X-Men as its own contained thing that editorial and creators then moved away from. It would be a real disservice if the House and Powers era became that. You know, and that's the thing that I've said. It was very early in the Krakoa era. I did a video. It was probably 2020 because we all had some time in 2020. And I read the Chuck Austin X-Men run for the first time. And I read it through the lens of this was kind of a reaction in many ways to what Morrison had done on New X-Men, right? And kind of this like, push for a back-to-basics thing. It also coincides with the return of Chris Claremont to X-Men, which is about as as back to the old days as you can get in X-Men comics, right? <laughs> like, aside from, like, Claremont and Byrne on the title is just Claremont. And a thing I talked about at that time, three-plus years ago, was the narrative arc of X-Men comics is always after a big swing... And after a real push, which is what Morrison did on New X-Men, there is a regression. There is a return to say, I'm sorry, fandom, that you were scared. I'm sorry that we tried to push some of you to read a new story you hadn't read before. Apologies. Here are the stories you've read before repackaged. That is what happens at Marvel Comics. Um, so that is sucks. <laughs> That's a bummer. But we should not be surprised by that. Okay? We should not be surprised by that. So, all right. Let's see. Any thoughts in here that I need to address? Um, Vass says, if Krakoa is out, I'm out too. It's hard not to feel that way. I think, um... It would take, I mean, that's the thing about, like, imagine, if you will, the Krakoa saga ends, Mother Righteous ascends to Dominion, gives the mutants back their Krakoa, and then we get Uncanny X-Men number one, and imagine now the pressure on a creative team coming in after that to have to, like, move on from Krakoa, you know? in a creatively engaging and not infuriating way. Like, you can't... I mean, you can. It's Marvel. But, like, just sort of retconning it out of... Exi like, it's not Sin's past, which I've read recently in Spider-Man. It's as bad as I remembered. Actually, it's worse than I remembered. Um, you can retcon Sin's past. It's harder to retcon an entire nation. Now, listen. This is comics. We can do a universe reset. We can do Moira's 11th life. There are ways to get out of it if you need to. 
but it it definitely it would be hard it's hard for me to imagine getting to that point seeing a new uncanny x-men number one you know set in westchester and being like yeah i'd love to keep reading <laughs> i'd probably check out too you know not not necessarily even that angrily but just like i don't need to be a part of the regression you know and i don't know why as a creator you'd want to be i guess because you get to write x-men um let's see what else do we got James says, I feel Duggan has been his strongest the last four to six month word of buildup and continuing. I need to pull back on the Duggan disses. Is that like, is that like you need to pull back, James? Or like I do? <laughs> I'm not sure how to read that. I haven't even mentioned him yet today. So I feel like I'm good. I feel like I'm good on the quote unquote disses, which I would frame as honest analysis. <laughs> Okay, uh, what else do we got? Fabium says, I love Dark Axe-Men. It was a good read. We'll talk about that. Christoph says, I wonder if Gods is going to be as big as Secret Wars. No. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, Shield, maybe. Shield, maybe. I'm a little annoyed by Gods. I gotta say, I'm a, it hasn't come out yet. This is the new Jonathan Hickman written series. I'm already a little annoyed by it. I guess primarily because of the gratuitous one-page ad in the Hellfire Gala. Very good Hellfire Gala, some of Duggan's finest, destruction of mutant kind, and, uh, and a one-page God's teaser. It was garbage. We didn't need that. What was that for? All right, let's see. Multiple people saying X2 is good. This must have been a conversation in the comments. I, don't, I didn't mention X2. X2 is a perfect movie. Uh, no criticisms. I will also never rewatch it, so it was not to damage my, uh, at the time, 14-year-old appraisal of it as a perfect movie. Let's see. Travis says, I'm out if they just end up back at the mansion. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing, too, is like, like I said, Brevoort has chops and experience and wants to sell comics. I do genuinely believe that as an editor, he's going to be smart enough to read the room and say, we can't just wash all that away and go back and do the old X-Men at the mansion thing again, you know, with that, not without a universe reset, it just doesn't make sense. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. We're a few, a few years away. All right. Let's see. Alexander asks, hi, big fan. I've been catching up with Hickman's X-Men. When would you recommend reading X-Lives and X-Deaths of Wolverine? Now, I think we could take the win out and say, would you recommend reading it? <laughs> I don't think I would. I don't think I would. Listen, you don't need X-Lives, for sure. X-Deaths, narratively, you do actually kind of need. Um, I won't spoil it for you, because apparently you're not there yet. Uh, you can read X-Deaths Wolverine after Inferno. The Hickman version, not the 1989 better one. Uh, but that's when that goes. I have a full reading order on comicbookherald.com. Um, for all this stuff, you know, if you just search for, well, go to Combo Carol, you find it, or just search for like Hickman X-Men Reading Order, you'll find mine. It's gone through every era from House and Powers to now the Fall of X. Let's see. Okay, we got a, uh, a super chat here from Tektronic. Thanks so much for your support. Okay. Okay. Uh... What else? What else? Jay says, do you feel the new change coming to Marvel has anything to do 
what the lack of cohesiveness feel within Marvel Comics at the moment. Okay, so that's a good question, and that's an important point, is I don't think this is a slap in the face to what Jordan D. White and team have done. I don't read this as, oh, X-Men are in trouble. Tom, step in and save this. Because it's not an immediate move, right? Like, if your CEO is and the company is failing... They don't give you two years to write the ship. You know, you're out. Okay, and that's not what's happening here. So I definitely do view it more as this is long-term planning. The X-Men are are going to be getting a big push from the MCU probably faster than expected. <clears throat> that's the other piece of this. You know, Marvel hasn't, the MCU hasn't really begun dropping. They haven't even cast Fantastic Four. right? The X-Men are still, in theory, years down the road, and yet I think probably because of some of the pressures they're feeling internally, they're probably thinking, we need to start doing X-Men stuff because we can't hold on to that chamber forever because we're going to lose it. Because superhero movies are struggling as is. James Gunn's got a Superman and a DC revival coming in 2025. We might get Superman revitalizing DC, potentially, before we have a Fantastic Four movie at this point, right? And then they have actual competition, which they've never had at all. Not really, okay? Um, so they're probably thinking about pushing X-Men. That probably coincides with, with moving somebody in there. And then the other piece of it, too, is like, this story was going to end. <laughs> this story has always had an ending. It was never just going to go and go and go, okay? So at some point, somebody was going to have to come in and follow it up. And I think if you're thinking long-term and you're looking at, well, here's what they're going to do, and they have their plans, and they'll pull it off or they won't, but then we're going to need somebody with some real vision and some real creds to pick up the pieces and keep this thing strong instead of just letting it fall apart and tank. So, yeah, I don't necessarily think it has a heck of a lot to do with the overall quality of the product at the moment. Um, which again is like fall of X. It's in, it's in an interesting place, if not revelatory. Obviously we'll talk about some of the books that came out. Okay. Um, what else? (laughs) Thank you. Base God says, Dave, who is your Steve Kerr of the Marvel line? Non X-Men, a strong fifth man book, six man book, but nothing making superstar waves. Um, you know, you know who's actually very much a Steve Kerr of of the X-Men comics is Jerry Duggan. And like, listen, somebody here is gonna get offended by that. But that's as a Bulls fan, that's very high praise. Also a big Steve Kerr fan. Frankly, that might be too high of a compliment. Because he's also an incredibly successful coach now. I don't know, I might have to walk that back. But that feels appropriate. I was actually thinking the other day, like who's who's the NBA equivalent of a Duggan? Right? Somebody who is Vital. See, the one hesitation I have with giving that to Kerr is stepped up in the big moments, hit a game winner against the Jazz in 98, Duggan stepping up at the Hellfire Gals. That works really well, okay? Um, The hesitation I have is the sense that Duggan is driving the team, the sense that he's actually the 1A. That's why it makes me think more of like a Marcus Smart on the Celtics, somebody who thinks they're the best player on the team. You never get that sense with Steve Kerr. 
Like on a team with Michael Jordan, can you imagine <laughs> the head on a guy, the ego on a guy to be walking around like he's the number one? Um, but that feels close. That feels close. Now, the Steve Kerr of non-X-Men Marvel right now, that's hard because I can barely get to a starting five. Uh, you know what? It's probably Venom. It's probably Venom as sort of recalibrated here by Al Ewing where it's like, this thing could go off for nine threes in a game and it's cosmic venom fighting Dr. Doom, or I could continue to be baffled and not really thinking about it <laughs> at all. I feel like venom is a, is a fair consideration here. Um, I mean, who, who like, so, all right, if we're doing the bulls thing, we've all seen the last dance. I can do this. Um, we got Jordan. Is it Ewing or Gillen? Neither of them is the greatest of all time. Okay, let's be, let's be clear. Um, if we so let let's just say Jordan Pippen, Ewing Gillen. Okay, uh, or Rodman. I'm gonna go Victor Laval. Apologies to Victor for <laughs> equating him with the least like stable of the group. Uh, which, by the way, news today that Victor Laval is so the third part of the Sabretooth series is going to be Laval co-writing Wolverine with Benjamin Percy. I'm very excited about that. It's going to be Wolverine 41 to 50, Sabretooth War. So instead, seemingly, of a third Sabretooth miniseries, it's just straight up going to be the two of them, who are, I think, have been good friends for some time, co-writing Wolverine. Into that. Into that. But we'll give Rodman to Laval. Um, is it Laval? I should know this. Every I, I do this so often. I interview a person. I study their name, I ask them how to say it, I get it right the once for the interview, and then four weeks later, I couldn't tell you how to pronounce the thing. I don't know, my brain just does not hang on. I hang on to comic book names and numbers and trivia, but I cannot hang on to name pronunciations. I just did this with J.M. DeMatteis. G De Mateus? I don't know. I interviewed the person like six months ago. Cannot remember. Um, okay, so we got Rodman, we got, uh, who else? Who we got playing point here? Uh, is this the Ron Harper era? Yeah, we got Harp. Um, this is where it gets really hard. And we also, this is the other thing, is like now we have like turnover. So it's like, who's even a part of the X office at this point? You know, I had somebody the other day being like, hey, you didn't name enough like women writers at Marvel who you're fans of right now, which is a fair criticism, but it was in the context of like, yeah, they all left for DC. <laughs> you know, Vita Ayala, they're at DC, you know, non-binary representation, Teeny Howard, Leah Williams seemingly have left for DC. Like all the women that were part of the X office are gone, you know? Um, so anyway, it's like, who's even a part of the roster at this point? I mean, I guess, you know, new names, we got Steve Fox, we got Jerry Duggan left, we got Steve Orlando. Um, who am I not mentioning? Ed Brisson's back. Uh, bah, 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 I don't know. Others. Uh, I don't know. From there, all right, I got our, I got our big three. It's much harder to do. From that point, I mean, I, that's the thing, though, is like on, in this lineup, in this roster, you have to make Duggan a starter. And I, I, I've said throughout this, I think if Duggan's writing your fourth best X book, you're in great shape. But he's driving a lot. <laughs> he's driving that car a lot. Balls in Ron Harper's hands a lot. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Now, Open Mike Eagle says, just did an X-Men Red reread and Ewing is flirting with Dream Team level work. That I fully agree with. X-Men Red is astonishing astonishingly good i love how in this era of you know marvel editorial really trying to 
push that nostalgia button that Al Ewing month in, month out is, is out here saying, actually, the best comic we can do is one that like adds to this tapestry. That that creates new things that feels unlike a Marvel book that has come before. And they're right. They're right. Of course. Uh, as far as the series question that you asked originally that I've been avoiding. Um, okay, Fantastic Four is in our starting lineup. We got Moon Knight. Oh, I already said Venom, didn't I? I did answer it. Okay. But I guess to round out the starting five, we got Fantastic Four, Moon Knight, Daredevil, which just ended. Uh, the Zdarsky Chicago run, at least. Um, what else is good right now? Anything? What am I missing? I don't know. You got a bunch of new series kicking off, which are kind of TBD. Listen, if you take X-Men out of the equation, I cannot get to five. Marvel's not that good right now. Not even close. All right. Let's get to it. Let's talk some comics. Today, Comic Book Herald Live is sponsored by Little Water. This is Little Water. We had some ice in here earlier, so the bottle's a little bit cold. This came out of a refrigerator. You can find refrigerators in most kitchens. You can get a little water out of there. You fill that up, you drink it through a straw. Littlewater.com. New comics today. We had Alpha Flight number one, Uncanny Avengers number one, Dark X-Men number one, three new Fall of X drops. Let's start with probably the most continuity-relevant book, the Jerry Duggan-written Uncanny Avengers. This one follows up on the Hellfire Gala in X-Men number 25. Um, it is... It is a bit of a tough sell, I think, but it does, you know, all of these books right now are doing the thing of, okay, let's explore mutants being as hated as they are right now, which is again, record all time high. Orcus has ascended to a shockingly trustworthy position <laughs> in the, in the world. Okay. It is basically, basically it has become shield. Um, now, I, I do have sort of a, a perpetual problem here with, I think it is extremely difficult, frankly impossible, to sell Orcus's propaganda success when you have, again, a Mr. Sinister clone, Dr. Stasis, out as like a public-facing persona in a world that has seen the sins of Sinister. That doesn't work for me. Uh, also, when you have Sentinels everywhere. As a PR machine, Orcus should be a little concerned, <laughs> a little concerned about sentinels everywhere. Now, you might be thinking, why? Why, right? All they've ever done is hunt mutants. What does most of the world care about sentinels? Well, they committed a genocide on Genosha, well-known global fact. They also surrounded New York City during the Onslaught Saga and terrorized <laughs> the biggest city in America. Selling the Sentinel in 2023 should be impossible. It should be. Now, this is comics. And, and, and realistically, people have short memories, right? Uh, the, the bent of, of political and societal conversation is, is often driven by people unable to remember or trust or believe things that happened even a year ago, okay? We see that increasingly happening all the time. Nonetheless, 
nonetheless, uh, there's I, I don't get how you can be like, hey, they're wielding sentinels. Yeah, they're the good guys. Impossible. Okay. Uh, at the beginning of this comic, we see Doctor Stasis and Modok have cloned slash resurrected some known entity, some character that we have seen before for their Captain Krakoa. Now, if you don't remember, in the Free Comic Book Day issue that came out in May, and then it was alluded to in the Hellfire Gala, Captain someone wearing the Captain Krakoa costume, which is a costume that Cyclops wore when he was pretending that he wasn't dead because he didn't want to spoil resurrection. So it's, it is associated with the X-Men and mutant kind. Someone is wearing that Captain Krakoa costume when they go and bomb the U.S. Capitol, right? So this is part of Orcus's ploy to make mutants look, you know, like murderous terrorists. Um, we don't actually know who's wearing that costume. What we see here is that Modoc and Dr. Stasis seem to know him, and there's also a clue that they are inherently furious that mutants would have their own nation, which is, of course, um, you know, someone who's going to fit in with Orcus. There's also a sense here that probably they've been dead for some time. Probably they've been dead. They've missed some things. Okay? Now, later in this issue, considering Captain Krakoa goes straight for Fenris and talks about Baron Von Strucker's great family, I think there's a pretty good chance it's the notorious BVS. I think it's Baron Von Strucker, okay, who is one of the, like, I don't know that you could say founder, but, like, one of the leads of HYDRA back in the, the early Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. days. In Nick Fury days, Baron Von Strucker is a, a prime antagonist in the very good Jonathan Hickman-written Secret Warriors for a more modern series. I have not seen the Notorious BVS in comics for some time, um, which leads me to believe this is our man. It's probably not the Red Skull. That's too big a swing, you know? Uh, but Baron Von Strucker, that works. That's, that's somebody who would absolutely adopt the Orcus's ideologies, and again, like having somebody go to the pit to get Fenris, which was the pit always as easy as smashing the floorboards? I don't know why, but I was sort of just imagining like you had to navigate Krakoa a specific way. Also, why didn't Professor X and Krakoa stop him from doing that? Very powerful entities guarding that island currently. Not really sure how he got around those. Whatever, it's comics. We'll keep moving. Uh, I, I'm confident here, pretty confident, it's Baron Von Strucker. Now, I think originally John Walker was a popular pick. <sighs> Feels a little bridge too far for John Walker, a.k.a. U.S. agent, a.k.a. a character who has, <clears throat> you know, oscillated between being Captain America gone completely wrong and also, like, working with the Avengers, you know? Um, I don't know that that would totally work. Let's see, J.J. says it's Crossbones. Crossbones could work, could work, um, but the Fenris piece and the, the uh, what do you call it, really talking up the line of Baron Von Strucker doesn't really feel like a Crossbones play. Um, <laughs> Braden points out that chin is too white for Red Skull. <laughs> That's one way. That's one way you could tell. Um Timothy asks, does Baron Von Strucker historically have super strength? They, Duggan makes a point here to say that it is the Captain Krakoa suit 
that is providing some super strength. Also, Strucker has used all sorts of drugs and armors and weapons in the past to give themselves, you know, some level of superhuman ability. Um, I think other players that would make a lot of sense would be, um, oh, Nuke. But Nuke is probably not articulate enough, at least historically, to be to be working in this way. Um, so, you know, again, Orcus has Hydra ties, at least in part. They're an amalgamation of every organization that the Marvel Universe has ever seen. Anyway, I don't know. On one hand, it's like, why keep it a mystery if you're literally going to say the dude's name? <laughs> you know? It's like, is that hiding in plain sight or is that giving it away? Tough to say. Tough to say. Ooh, power to the people says. This is a good guess. I think it's evil cap. Who's evil cap, you ask? Talking Stevel Rogers from Secret Empire. I had not considered that. That could work. This is the cosmic cube infused Steve Rogers doppelganger who worked with Hydra to take over the world as part of the 2017 event. Controversial. Tom Brevoort edited. <laughs> 2017 event. Secret Empire. That's a good guess. That's a really good guess. That would also make a lot of sense with Steve's role at, on the Uncanny Avengers in terms of having a direct counter. Then you'd have Captain America and, quote-unquote, Captain Krakoa. Ooh, that could work. That, that would also make sense why he goes to Fenris, why Nazi Cap would go straight to the Nazis and talk highly of Baron Von Strucker's line. All right, listen, power to the people. I think you got it. I think you got it. I'm seeing a lot of people say, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, please don't, which is fair. Duggan's going to be walking a line. Nobody really wants that character brought back, but yeah, that, that would actually make a ton of sense. That would make a ton of sense. Okay. Who else do we got here? Um, oh, okay. So Captain America is putting together an uncanny Avengers unit to stave off the fascism and concentration camps and relocations of Orcus to the point that we've got Cap pretty much straight up encouraging avenging mutant kind through killing Orcus guards. Historically, historically, the non-World War II version of Cap is like a little squeamish about killing, <laughs> to put it mildly. It's kind of the whole point of Avengers, uh, what is it, Operation Galactic Storm in the early 90s. It's a big falling out with Tony Stark. They want to kill the supreme intelligence. Uh, it feels a little out of character. It does. Um, we know, you know, we have the dramatic irony to know that, like, listen, who among us is sitting here crying over an Orcus guard, right? Um, but Captain America has always kind of been the character that kind of makes you rethink, like, no, killing people is still bad. Um, <laughs> Duggan seems to be walking away from that here. There was an assassination attempt on Cap's life, so, you know, maybe he's a little salty about that. Uh, you know, I think the other way to interpret it is, like, this is a war, and Orcus has committed genocide against mutant kind, and we need to protect them. You know, like, that's that's the healthy, you know, attitude and understanding that I think Duggan's going to be leaning into. Um, but he jumps on board real quick with Psylocke stabbing people in Penis, slashing people to death. Um, 
which like listen as a reader i am fully on board with i mean i think i think pushing this to x-men so far back on their heels or mutant kind so far back on their heels that they're kind of more murderous than we've ever seen them before i actually think it makes a lot of sense frankly um and it works i'm not squeamish about that i think in these in these instances you know but cap is unique you know in the ways that that superman is in a lot of ways so i'm mildly skeptical of that but nonetheless he's putting a team together it's got some of Duggan's Uncanny Avengers favorites like Rogue and Deadpool. Um, and here we are. And here we are. They're putting a team together. We're going to find out who Captain Krakow is. Uh, this is like a 6 out of 10 for me. Good, solid superhero stuff. Um, but nothing super special. I think I would say. All right. What are we going to talk about next? Let's talk about Alpha Flight. No, let's talk about Dark X-Men. Let's be positive. Uh, Dark X-Men. Dark X-Men was interesting. I think Dark X-Men was the most interesting of the new releases today. For sure, this is written by Steve Fox, friend of Comic Book Herald. Um, or Comic Book Herald's a friend of theirs. Maybe, maybe it's one way. <laughs> Tough to say. Really bizarre roster. Does not immediately capture the, oh, this is the new Hellions vibes that I think all of us are hoping for, where you just take the weirdest group of mutants and put them into just strange and comedic situations. Um, but definitely has that sense of like, this is chaotic and everyone here is a mess and kind of evil. And it's really interesting. Uh, I think, you know, having Maddie on a team, having havoc, having Azazel, having flipping end plate, um, bouncing around like this is Archangel apparently already captured by Orcus, but nonetheless, I love this visual motif of Archangel, uh, really Really cool. It also actually does something interesting with the terrible, no good, very bad. Uh, oh, jeez, what was that event even called? What was it? What, what was the Maddie? Dark Web. Dark Web. That event sucked eggs. And uh, why is that a saying? Why, why do we suck eggs? Why not simply crack and scramble them? I don't know. Um, that event was terrible. And uh, Steve Fox finds an in because now it actually creates a situation where, okay, but the end of that... You got Maddie in a little healthier place as the Queen of Limbo, but also you have a Limbo on Earth that can now function because it has, like, UN status. It has, like, a sanctuary component for mutant kind. Because right now, one of the challenges that mutant kind has is there's, like, straight up nowhere they can go. Okay, so if you are a surviving mutant and you didn't walk through the gates, um, of which I'm a little confused why there are so many individuals who were not trained by Professor X to resist, who, like, somehow didn't walk through the gates. I don't know what's up there. But, uh, you know, why they're left behind. But, like, basically, Orcus is relocating them to Mars, which is in the midst of civil flippin' war in the pages of X-Men Red, so really not safe. Also, it's Mars. Um, and then it's like, okay, apparently we learned this in Alpha Flight, but Canada and the U.S. have straight-up banned mutants. Apparently that's where they are. Just government's just fully on board with what Orcus is telling them, uh, which is pretty extreme. Like I said, you know, like the Hellfire Gala and now this aftermath, this is literally the worst it's ever been for mutants. There has never in, to my knowledge, in Marvel's history been a situation where North America, I guess maybe Mexico is still safe, was like, no mutants here. You know? That's a big deal. And it's, it's very, very quickly happens and isn't really discussed in, in any interesting detail. But nonetheless, apparently it has happened. 
Um, so yeah, dark web, super interesting. Uh, having that as a sanctuary, the, everything goes wrong in this first issue. It is not uneventful. There are questions as to the survival status of multiple characters. And then there's a big weird twist at the end. So I think if you're going to pick up one of these books, check out dark X-Men. I, I found it the most interesting. It's definitely the richest in terms of, of X-Men weirdo continuity. How about Albert, the Wolverine robot clone? You talk about weirdo continuity to pull from. Uh, also, a lot of Children of the Atom coming back up in this, which was not a fantastic series by any measure, um, but it, I do like seeing somebody try to do something with those characters. I think that could work. Okay, so Dark, Dark X-Men gets a recommendation from me. Uh, Alpha Flight does not. Um, the main problem that Alpha Flight has is that it's Alpha Flight, and it's awful, I would say. Uh, zero out of ten for Alpha Flight. I'm gonna take a drink of water. We can keep talking about it if you want. Uh, a couple people are asking. This is. I, I didn't want to spoil it, even though this is a spoiler-filled, you know, conversation. But there's a character who appears to be dead. At the end of this, I'm just gonna go out on a limb and say they're not. Uh, this being comics, that's my prediction. Okay. Um, I, the one thing I'll say about Alpha Flight, well, I guess I've said one thing, which is zero out of 10, but I guess the second thing I'll say about Alpha Flight is Ed Brisson is trying to convince us by the end of this that Alpha Flight isn't actually the worst. So the premise here is like Alpha Flight's working with the Canadian government to ban mutants and lock them up, which feels believable. They're the worst. That's what they would do. Um, but then at the end, Brisson is trying to convince us that they're actually not the worst. Nice try. Because they're actually working with the mutants to get them off of Earth to Chandelar, which is a nice pull. Safe Shi'ar moon uh, colony or whatever it is. Um, it's very reminiscent of 1986's X-Factor, where you have the O5 X-Men pretending to be mutant hunters so that they can get close. to. When I say very reminiscent, I mean it's, it's the same. <laughs> it's the same plot. <laughs> okay. Uh, but... Um, Thank you, Base God says, Dave, do your best Zach impression and cover Alpha Flight. Ooh, okay. Alpha Flight is my favorite comic book of the year. It's a 10 out of 10 for me. I loved everything here. We have Puck, we have Vindicator, we have all these Canadians. Oh, it's such a good comic. It's it's the best, it's the best comic in the entire Krakoa era of X-Men. Uh, congratulations. Congratulations to Ed Brisson, to the entire creative team. I give it an 8 out of 10. Best comic I've ever read. There you go. That's for the My Marvelous Yearheads. <laughs> Who know what I'm talking about? <laughs> All right. Any final questions? Any thoughts? Let's see what we got. <sighs> the other says, boo this man for talking smack about Outflight. Listen, I feel like I have to explain this every time. I mean, frankly, like you should subscribe and listen to My Marvelous Year. If you're listening to me here live on Comic Herald, you should know better. Um, that said, Zach and I, my co-host on My Marvel This Year, have a running gag that he loves Alpha Flight, and I absolutely despise them. So that is where that comes from. Uh, I may be mildly overstating my disdain for this comic book, which, which I will... Uh, okay, so like stripping away the kayfabe for a second? Mid. <laughs> Very mid. Okay? Um, did, did, did take some swings... Like I said, on a how are global governments 
reacting to, to the situation with mutants right now, okay? Uh, where apparently Canada and the U.S. have straight up banned mutants. I would like a lot more detail and information on how that has manifested. But nonetheless, uh, that is where I'm at. But I mean, like a four out of ten is generous, I think. Okay, final questions, final thoughts. I don't know, on one hand, I'm like, please say, please nobody sure that was Zach, but then maybe also please all of you sure that was Zach. I'm not sure where I net out. <laughs> I'll have to tell him when this is done so he's not shocked when somebody shares this with him. Uh, do we have any final thoughts? It does feel Canadian-phobic, uh, as Thank You Base God points out here. I do feel a little bad about that. <laughs> I really like Canada. <laughs> and pretty much anyone I've ever encountered there. Um, but yeah. It, 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 listen, I'll, I'll, I'll own that for the bit, for the time being, but I don't know what's coming up next week. Let's do a quick scan of what's coming next week and let's see if we're going to have a podcast. I mean, if there's as big news as like the Brevoort thing on the editor side, then I mean, yeah, I'll probably just come back anyway, but that is hard to come by. Let's say we got an interesting looking Venom comic. We got X-Force 43. We got, hmm, Invincible Iron Man number nine. First issue of Immortal Thor. That'll be interesting. It's an arguing written joint. Uh, Jean Grey number one, which is like a Realm of X number one. I don't know. We're let's see. Let's see how this plays out. Uh, if there's maybe something else to talk about next week, we could probably do an episode. And of course, if you all support and and tell me that you'd love to hear me next week, then I will absolutely succumb to those pressures as well. Uh, two final thoughts here. Uh, somebody mentions uh, Donny Cates is really going through it. Yeah, I saw that story uh, that that they've had a hell year and um, suffer brain damage in a, a car accident. And I think there was a lot of speculation and just kind of people being like, what happened to that person? Did they just like quiet quit at Marvel? Or like, what is the, what is the deal? Um, and uh, it, it, I think it's a it's a fresh reminder that like, hey, the people who make comics are human. Super platitude, I know. Um, but just like, and I, I don't think many people here listening to this are guilty of this, but there's so much of this garbage on YouTube and just on social in general of just talking about them like they're flipping like, you know, intellectual property, like they're public IP. And it's like, no, this is a human who's had a hell year and I hope it gets better for them. Um, I, I really do. You know, it seems like they're on the road to recovery, which is good. You know, I look forward to reading more comics from them in the future because um, obviously everything there sounds terrible. Uh, somebody asked, have you read the Wolverine Ghost Rider crossover? No, I have not. It is not 1994. I will probably not be, frankly, unless somebody really, really is like, Dave, you have to read this. <laughs> and even then. Uh, JJ asks, you think James Harden will get traded, Dave? Uh... Trying, he's trying. He is trying. Listen, if there's one thing James Harden can win, it's a trade request. That is the thing that he can win. But I suspect, I don't know, like it's how do you come back from, from getting on Mike in China or wherever he was and just dis, dis, dragging Daryl Morey's name through the mud, calling him a liar? Uh, if, if the Bulls come up once as like interested suitors, in a James Harden trade, unless the price is like Lonzo Ball, I am out. <laughs> I am disinterested 
Okay, let's see. I'm seeing one note that uh, Thank You Base God would like to hear me next week. So, I don't know. One's not a lot. Uh, it's frankly the loneliest number. So, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to be here next week, but probably I will be. Subscribe to the Comic Carol channel if you want to know if I'm coming. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And as always, enjoy the comics.